Barely Research Facts is a fact-based podcast brought to you by Art Now Das, an experiential arts agency based out of Mumbai. Each week, we pick a word at random, dive into it, and see what it brings to us. We are your hosts. My name is Ragini, and this is Shar. Let's go. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Barely Research Facts, guys. I am going to jump in with the word. Our word is angel. for this week and as with all things holy and pious i'm going to start with the story about alcohol yes so, it's 7:15 <laughs> a.m in my, my time but yes let's do this <laughs> yeah and i am in goa while we're recording this so i think it's fair i recently came across this concept of the angels share in the whiskey distillation process Mm. Now, what is the angel share? You ask. The angel share is a share of the alcohol, which, in the process of the aging of the alcohol, sort of evaporates, and a specific amount of the distillation that leaves the cask each year and reaches the heavens, intoxicating the cherubs, and therefore it is called the angel's share. This, I mean, the way so the way you said it sounds factual. I believe it. Yeah, I, I oh, I believe it a hundred percent. Nothing ironic about this. <laughs> But okay, so basically, what happens is that when the whiskey is decanted into casks, and the wood's ability to transfer its particular properties into the whiskey, which is why you know whiskey is sort of stored in different kinds of wooden casks, uh, as we know from our recent episode on whiskey and uh, Sharu's trip to Scotland right after. Now, while this is happening, the, the whiskey undergoes two kinds of movements. The first is the contraction dilation that's happening as a result of the changing of the weather. So in the summers, you know, the volume expands. In the winters, it, it contracts. This is a process that is usually avoided in wine storage, which is why wine is stored in cellars underground so that the temperature sort of stays constant. Yeah. But what this also allows, like in the process of whiskey making, what this allows it to do is, it really allows the the flavors of the wood to sort of transfer to the alcohol, as most whiskey connoisseurs would know. And apparently, I'm one of them now. <laughs> uh, okay, calm down. <laughs> And the second movement is the transpiration, which is that you know because it's not stored in a watertight container, wood isn't what like it's wood is porous, so it allows an exchange of oxygen between the inside and the outside, which gradually ages the grappa to the whiskey to perfection. As a result of this, what what happens is that a lot of the contents of the cask start evaporating. So back in ancient times, distillers were absolutely stumped because almost half of their whiskey would be gone when they opened the cask. <laughs> and at that time because they didn't know what was really happening they just imagined that you know angels were coming down and getting drunk and since then it's been called the angels share and over a period of time now while it's impossible to reduce it to zero uh, depending on the climate conditions and how it's stored and stuff like that 2 to 4% of any distillation in a cask is often will still evaporate and uh, apparently very interesting statistical calculations have shown that in Scotland every 365 days 110 million liters of whiskey disappears to give context that's 44 olympic size swimming pools jeez so that's some very very drunk angels out there <laughs> i wonder if it's just the one angel <laughs> like not all of them like, some yeah. of them are like no it's it's i've worked no, tomorrow no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like yeah party yeah so that's the angels share that's cute that's what it is i love that yeah it's sweet. and they did mention it when we were at the distillery in aberfeldy they mentioned the 2% angels share so ah very interesting so ragini have you ever wanted to fly yes okay so so same here <laughs> <laughs> so angels obviously in the human imagination uh and belief for some people they're shaped like a human right shaped and behave yeah. and are hu- humanoid shaped 
Now, I was interested in what's the science behind us possibly having wings and flying with said wings. Okay. Chances are slim. What if we could all be angels, basically? Uh, well, yes. Yeah. Okay. Not by character, just just with the... <laughs> Just with the physical characteristic of wings and being able to fly. Uh, Spoiler, chances are slim. Because it is pretty sad. Because apparently the average adult male or female would need a wingspan of no less than 6.7 meters, which is 22 feet. Which, if you draw in a diagram, looks redonkulous. Like the person... I'd just be consumed by thoughts of how to manage daily life with these huge things strapped to my back. Apparently, the largest flying bird in history was this thing called the Argentavis Magnificence. I mean, why can't you just call it Jeff or something? Why does it have to be this complicated? But yeah, so it weighed about 200 pounds and had a wingspan of about 7 meters, which is 23 feet. And in some cases... A wingspan of about 9 meters would be needed, especially for carrying a heavy load. So, now to flap these huge wings, we would need pectoral muscles twice the size of a pro bodybuilder's. Our bones would have to be lighter and therefore weaker. So, we'd need to strengthen our collarbone by fusing the clavicles into a wishbone. So, this does require a lot of work. I do see crazy people, you know, the kind you see on the internet. Yeah, trying it. But yeah, generally, chances are slim. You'd have to look very different from what we... (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to say that. But yes, you'd have to look extremely ridiculous, guys. Please stop. Just just stop trying to be birds or angels. Please. It's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, so we must just um, suffice with the knowledge that there have been dinosaurs that have been huge, that have had wings. uh, But... Angels. It ain't gonna happen for us. Not gonna happen for us. Sorry. Okay. That was a really cheerful segment. <laughs> like it really ended on a high. Yeah. But uh, going to, you know, how uh, from like people actually having wings to the reason we think of angels with wings and obviously because angels aren't real. Uh, the only way we imagine angels with wings is because artistically that's how we've seen it depicted. And that's how, that's the most popular rendition of an angel, right? And so I was just like, well, how did that even start? Like, how do people, how did anyone ever first think that angels should be depicted with wings? Yeah. And so uh, I came across this particular explanation for it, which is that early descriptions of angels, according to the text, so when you had the written description of the angel, you didn't really have uh, a visual rendition of it. Angels were depicted as uh, creatures without genders. There was no, there's no mention of any wings. Mm. There is an, uh, a reference to an angel's ability to fly, but it could just be teleportation. There's no really need, or just like hanging around the clouds or whatever. But yeah. like no wing really needed for it. And angels were depicted in the image of man, but, and also like, you know, sort of had some kind of mythical attributes to them. You know, so the, the body of man, but like with these sort of fantastical additions to it, which in time could have become the wings. Mm. Now, over a period of time, out of multiple references and sources, Christianity developed the particular iconography of an angel that we sort of see. So it's through the study of Christianity that you see why angels have come to be depicted in the way that they are right now. So artists started taking references from different texts and sort of combining them to create this new visual reference of an angel. Mm. And it was a visual metaphor that was meant to provide an understanding of something beyond ourselves, you know, so sort of something that was godly almost, but also sort of making it clear that it's sort of this mediating presence in between. So it's not God, 
but it's also not man so they're a level of a man but they're obviously not god and therefore creating this idea of a messenger between man and god yeah i'd see that as as the next step right if you have this unattainable being who you <laughs> you can't really get to you'd be like well i'm going to now designate a jeff <laughs> as my messenger jeff the angel jeff the angel and so basically initially because now all of these you know when you read about all of this it's all really fantastical but it's so imaginative that it's mm. hard to put down to an image so angels began to be anthropomorphized which is why they appear man like mm. and so in early art because they were trying to create an angel in the image of man you actually have a lot of images of like these really male very clearly male angels in fact there are like examples of like bearded angels up until the 4th century AD some even balding so really like you know i think they were just taking images of like respected renowned men around them and then sort of creating angels out of them but no physical attribute that really separated man from an angel mm. after the 4th century wings became a prominent feature and slowly the beards began to disappear altogether we sort of see start seeing angels with these like you know curl like this curly cherubic curly hair yeah and you know the roman empire took over the idea of putting angels as this creature between god and man and sort of the messenger the wings became an addition to it that kind of allowed people to imagine how angels went up and down <laughs> so they could go to heaven and meet god and then they could come back because they had wings and they could fly mm. now another reason why this could happen is that at the beginning of christianity christ's role was you know he was the son of god but he was also the messenger of god right so then what is the difference between christ and an angel and so it almost led to this cult of like angel worship that had to be prohibited because suddenly angels were becoming equivalent to christ and that couldn't happen so <laughs> no 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 both, yeah very bad so in order to counteract it they prohibited angel worship and then <laughs> but that led to basically angels becoming worthless so suddenly you have all of this you know all these texts and all these stories around angels but you there is really no value to being an angel and so in that case sort of wings became another reason to set them apart from humans like you and me mm. but also to kind of keep them at a stature below christ so it kind of it allowed the hierarchy of worship i think to uh <laughs> permeate and also in order to sort of keep angels genderless now you normally when you still see an angel you still they still have very female physical qualities right but they're always also depicted with like personal characteristics that are very male so like you know they're sort of personified victory mm. strength uh bravery like you know those and those are typically very male i mean they considered very male attributes that back in the day they were right and so this idea of this very female figure and also one of the reasons why angels went from being male to being female is because people thought that the male form was too tempting for women in an angel <laughs> so they decided to make the form female but give them these really male qualities and so it sort of retains the genderless nature of an angel yeah sure wings, that's why they did it in, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and slowly now you kind of start seeing and so now therefore in today's day and age we have the angelic representation as we see today with the wings intact so that they can go up and down but it doesn't get to the heads my favorite bit was where they changed the angel from male to female <laughs> because females <laughs> couldn't <laughs> resist the male angel form <laughs> Yeah. I have yeah this is all from one single uh, paper yeah. so some of it could be contentious but I liked it so I've quoted it verbatim <laughs> Now I was super interested in a particular type of angel not a very appetizing type of angel but mm. an angel of mercy 
And it's, okay. you know, like, if you're interested in true crime, you know who this person is, you know what they've done, and they're a terrible type of person. Basically, they're a criminal who, um, they're usually in some sort of caregiving role, like, you know, a nurse or a doctor or someone who gives informal care at home, who intentionally harms or kills people under their care. And... I mean, you'd be surprised how easy it is to cover up this sort of crime, especially if you are in a position of power. There have been people in positions of power who have killed hundreds of people Wow! before they've been found out. Yeah. So apparently there's a doctor called Dr. John Bodkin Adams. He was acquitted in 1957 of the murder of one patient, and but he is believed to have killed around 163 patients. This was in the UK. I'm not going to go into details of, you know, people who have been this type of person, uh, but I was interested in the psychology behind why they do it. And um, Mm. apparently the motivation behind this type of criminal behavior, it's obviously differs based on the person and their experiences and nature and nurture and things. But generally there's three patterns. One is the mercy killer Mm. who genuinely believe that the victims are suffering and that they need to be put out there suffering Hmm. and it could be a delusion it could be you know as an addendum to another type of psychological disorder that they have and this is the delusion that has formed there's the yeah which is interesting because you're two types of terrible or you know (laughs) disturbed and then there's the sadistic person who uses their position as a way of exerting power and control over helpless victims. So these these type of people are, yeah, they're genuinely evil. And then there's the malignant hero. This is a pattern where the subject endangers the victim's life in some way and then proceeds to, quote-unquote, save them. So if you had heard the term Munchausen by proxy, you'd be familiar with this type of person. Some of them, you know, sometimes parental figures will make a child intentionally sick and then keep, you know, bring them to the brink of something and then take them back and do it over, you know, years and years and years. Oh my God. Yeah, it's so disturbing. But there are people like this. And the, the unfortunate thing is, because of the way that they do things, usually they go uncaught for a very long time before they found out. So, yeah, that has truly brought the mood up. <laughs> yeah, you're really like <laughs> doing the high segments. Yeah. <laughs> now, to take a semantic step to the left from Angel of Mercy, <laughs> I want to go to Angel of Grief. Now, have you seen these statues or sculptures of angels in cemeteries? Yes. I was curious about it. Now, the obvious assumption is that, you know, the angels help people ascend into the heavens and that they watch over them and things like that, which is, you know, I get that. Mm. But I was particularly interested in the origin of this angel of grief. And apparently it's based on an 1894 sculpture by this person. I'm saying person because he was extremely accomplished. Uh, He was more than just a person. No, he wasn't an angel, but he was a sculptor. (laughs) He was a lawyer. He wrote papers. He was a, you know, he was a critic, a very interesting human being called William Wetmore Story. Now he did this sculpture, which is, you've seen it. I've sent it to you, Ragini. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it just moving? It's beautiful. It's basically, so I'm just going to try and describe it. It's the headstone. Yeah. It's this figure of What's clearly an angel. It's a female form with wings. It's huge. The wings are huge. And it's just... Yeah, she's basically got her head on the headstone and she is clearly grieving. 
Yeah, and it's and really? everything about it screams grief. You know, she's got yeah, she's yeah. prostrate at this headstone, and she's got her head in her arms, and she just looks sad. And this was for the grave of his wife, Emmeline's story, and uh, this is in Rome. The full title was "The Angel of Grief Weeping Over the Dismantled Altar of Life." He did this obviously for his wife because he missed her very much, which I think is the cutest thing. This was his last project before he passed away a year after his. his wife's death so clearly he didn't want to be away from her for too long so there are many replicas of the angel of grief sculpture including some in stanford university and you know really prominent places and it's come to symbolize grieving but in a sort of gentle delicate way that is really touching when you look at it i recommend everybody go see the sculpture we'll put it up in the blog post it's really moving story himself wrote about it and he said it represents the angel of grief in utter abandonment throwing herself with drooping wings and hidden face over a funeral altar it represents what i feel it represents prostration yet to do it it helps me oh no i love that it, it is actually an extremely moving image Yeah. Uh, we'll put it up on the blog post and and you guys should go check it out for sure. So I'm going to move from there to the realm of conspiracy theories right now because why not? Yay. Why not? Is yeah, it humans it. with wings? <laughs> <laughs> Or is it an alien? <laughs> so, uh it's actually pretty much what my conspiracy theory is. Is it an angel or is it an alien? Okay, cool. Apparently, also I just found this out that there is a new term for UFO. by the US Navy and it is now called unidentified aerial phenomena i don't know this but apparently it's a new thing because ufo has so much stigma and so much baggage that people don't report it cuz nobody wants to be called crazy so now they say uap so that you can say okay i found you know i saw something that i don't know what it is and maybe you will and it's all logical and rational and everyone feels comfortable talking about it now the the theory is that basically the concept of the divine of angels is prevalent in almost all major religions catholicism judaism buddhism hinduism islam everything you know you have you have a concept of an alien of a, of an alien sorry yeah. of an angel <laughs> <laughs> and so you know could these just have been unidentified aerial phenomena of the time that people couldn't explain and therefore religion became a way to explain them and so are angels actually just early human interactions with aliens this sounds reasonable right like maybe they just didn't know maybe it wasn't just aliens it could be anything that they just didn't understand at the time they decided to call it an angel because they decided to explain it through religion i can get on board with this okay this sounds this sounds doable now there is a hypothesis however that is called it's called ancient aliens which basically says that intelligent extraterrestrial beings visited earth and made contacts with human in mm. antiquity and prehistoric times and that this contact influenced the development of modern cultures technologies etc to be noted this is pseudoscience it hasn't been proven no uh, <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> and then basically the, the composition is that deities from most religions are extraterrestrial in origin and the advanced technologies that came to earth by ancient astronauts i love that term by the way ancient astronauts were interpreted as evidence of divine status by early humans because they didn't know any better now the particular hypothesis that interested me was that you've heard of the fallen angels the fallen angels were angels who were expelled from heaven and came to earth and hypothesis is is that fallen angels were actually martians who came to earth 
I love that. Yeah, I love it too. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) It's really interesting how they've explained it. Conspiracy theorists strongly believe that alien life is a reality and they argue that space agencies like NASA are well aware of all of these visits to the Earth. But of course, it's all being hidden up. And now a lot of them are claiming that fallen angels in the Bible could be aliens from deep space. So they claim that fallen angels played a crucial role in introducing basic concepts of science and technology to humans. So according to legend uh, from the book of Enoch, there were a group of angels who descended to earth in violation of divine law. They introduced humanity to ways and means and knowledge and you know science and technology that we would not understand today as in back then and it said one of the conspiracy theorists who's a rabbi says that you know the angels from deep space were in human form and they look like us so in <laughs> hebrew they were called ishi which means men mm-hmm. and they you know so they look just like us fallen angels were giants they were at least 10 feet tall very striking looking had enormous eyes and no wings so therefore you know therefore early depictions of angels do not mention beings at all and obviously you know how does how do we explain this uh, william henry who is an author of a book called lost secret of the watchers has suggested that these fallen angels might actually be extraterrestrial aliens from mars so according to him for over 100 years mythologists have been contemplating the idea that the fallen angels came from mars to earth now his explanation is that even dante in described in uh, in his book paradiso where he talked about the fifth level of heaven and so possibly the fifth level of heaven is mars i guess uh, so now how they've also further rationalized this theory is that based on the depictions of the fallen angel as they as they talked about it could be that humans who have been bred on mars mm-hmm. for generations would have those physical characteristics so you know in space astronauts who've been in space for periods of time their spine expands a little bit because of the lack of gravity they do become a little bit taller you know and this is this is known to have happened now taking this a step further humans of a mars generation would because mars has less gravity than earth they would be taller than humans on earth they'd be skinnier so that explains the giant 10 foot tall fallen angel and they could have bigger heads and spindly limbs they would have larger eyes because sunlight is low so they would have to get used to seeing in the dark so their eyes would grow bigger and larger and they'd obviously have a paler skin tone because no sunlight again and they could therefore look like fallen angels as they've been described in some of these texts mm. and yeah and so that's the conspiracy theory that previously alleged depictions of gods angels fallen angels are actually alien sightings and the fallen angels are actually aliens that descended to earth from mars and introduced us to all of their technology so that's the theory of how angels could potentially be aliens hmm. now yeah. from angels that are martians to angels that are victorian <laughs> oh, oh dear <laughs> that was so terrible i want to talk about victoria's secret angels <laughs> okay <laughs> in case that wasn't clear yeah because i just i find the concept just the only thought that comes to mind when i think of victoria secret angels in specific is just me like you know i don't have any strong emotions i just think that they're yeah. they're models they're modeling products that are lingerie and great i guess I mean, you know, I don't think of them as anything really that affected my life in a big way. But apparently, Victoria's Secret. Now, all this is from a New York Times article, so, you know, it could be taken straight from the press release that the Victoria's Secret released themselves, so who knows. Mm. But everybody's familiar with Victoria's Secret Angels with the shows, with the money the models make, with how beautiful they are, with the, you know, 
the bodies that they're supposedly supposed to have but apparently supposedly supposed to have yeah cuz you don't know I, <laughs> like people make statements saying that oh no we're body positive and we're going to include all sizes but then yeah. when you look at the show it's you know yeah. not the case yeah. um, but, so they've apparently begun this huge turnaround in their brand hmm. they are quote unquote replacing the angels with or going in a different direction in that way they are apparently building this so now to give everybody context it the victoria's secret was founded in 1977 as a store where men could feel comfortable shopping for lingerie and oh yeah i didn't i i did not i didn't know that thing <laughs> And even the name apparently referred to male fantasies of prim Victorian ladies who became naughty in the boudoir, like <laughs> tee. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is thought off by a man. You can tell. Um, yeah. But the retail billionaire Leslie Leslie H. Wexner bought Victoria's Secret in 1982 and turned it into a phenomenon that helped shape society's view of female sexuality and beauty ideals, which I sort of do agree. Hmm. Central to its ethos. were the famous angels supermodels like you know Heidi Klum Tyra Banks yeah. who posed exclusively yeah. for the brand in the products that they offered and uh, the fashion show was sort of introduced as a cross between just like you know showing off the product catalog but also like just a huge extravagant thing now apparently they rebranding by putting in place seven women famous for their achievements and not their proportions Okay. We'll get to opinions okay. at the end of this, but you know, just this is just like setting the scene. They include Megan Rapino, the 35-year-old pink-haired soccer star and gender equity campaigner, Eileen Gu, a 17-year-old Chinese-American freestyle skier and maybe an Olympian and soon to be Olympian, the 29-year-old biracial model and inclusivity advocate Paloma El Cesar. Okay. She's a size 14, which makes <laughs> <laughs> <Very> huge <laughs> yeah which i'm like oh that's average right that's average size that's smaller than me um and priyanka chopra jonas a familiar name oh, yeah. to us indians um <laughs> who's an actor and an and tech investor is how they've described her which i was like okay <laughs> you know it's just the way that things are phrased in articles like this that sort of just rub me the wrong way but yeah so they apparently are spearheading the rebrand they're trying to redefine the version of sexy that victoria secret represents right now they're forming a group called the vs collective please don't laugh will okay. that will alternately advise the brand appear in ads and promote victoria secret on instagram now <laughs> i just i find this just what do you think let me ask you what do you think mm, i think the intention as it set out was a good direction i have to say though i don't really see i mean i have heard about this rebrand of victoria secret and i know like they kind of you know they're really trying to appeal to a broader audience and stuff now I don't know whether it's going to, if it's going to do that for them or not but it doesn't really feel like it's it's still you know addressing like skinny sort of prototype good looking women yeah in in like a very conventional sense and I don't think it's breaking that barrier yet I I like it's still I see what you mean yeah because it just seems I mean this isn't this isn't new people have model celebrities uh, you know 
maybe not future Olympians, but they do have people who are essentially celebrities who have huge achievements in their own right, advising the brand, appearing in ads and promoting the brand on Instagram. These aren't new things, you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I'm going to toss it back to you guys, like listening. Is this appealing to you? Do you think that it's going to make a huge difference? Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think they're just rebranding already used marketing tactics and then calling it a huge rebrand? I don't know because uh, Victoria's Secret cultural influence is huge and not only that the company's share of the US women's underwear market is now 21% and that's huge in its own right but it dropped from 32% in 2015 so still huge and the next competitor is at 16% which is you know there's a huge gap there's a 5% gap so yeah so it's interesting it may not be 7% yeah sorry my mathematics has never been that great you went to school with me you know Um, (laughs) so yeah so I just think it's interesting. I don't know if it qualifies as a fact in the traditional way of how we do facts on this podcast, but it was interesting <laughs> and um, we want to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I think I think it'd be nice to, to get other opinions on it because I think, uh, I mean, I do think it's a need of the hour. I think every brat is trying to move towards like broader messaging. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know if this is really doing that for them. Yeah. Right now, I don't know, things might change. They got a great yeah, article in the New York Times though, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but this is interesting. I feel like it's uh, it's very unlike anything else we've done before. Because we've never really had a discussion, have we? No. Just like rattling off facts about it. <laughs> hmm. oh, so we hope you've enjoyed that episode. And uh, as always, please do like, share, comment and subscribe. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. Where We've got our own blog up with every single episode. So go check all of those out and let us know what you think about this last topic. Yeah, for sure. And we will see you next time. Bye. Okay, that's it for today. The episode you just heard was edited by Mohit Chandilya. Music for the episode is by Charitha Arora. If you'd like to reach out to us about the podcast, the episode, or you just want to say hi in general, we're on Instagram at Barely Research Facts. You could also come to the website at www.arnadas.in. If you like the podcast, review, subscribe, and please share it with other podcast lovers in your circle. It would mean so much to us. Until next time. Bye.